Good morning. Well, it is a joy to be back with you uh, today. We, Mary and I had a just a great time traveling to Lafayette to Faith Biblical Counseling Conference. It was a full week, uh, much uh, information to take in, and um, of course a, a, a long drive, but we did uh, endure to the end in those chairs, so I know how that feels. Although we do a lot of standing here, so um, sometimes I feel like that's all I get to do. So I am thankful for the reprieve, uh, men, when you allow us to sit down um, before I get up. Uh, we also had the opportunity uh, to go to Cracker Barrel. Almost felt like I was home. <laughs> I mean, I was slipping back into some, some language and lingo that I, I'm sure is definitely not acceptable here, and so I won't try to repeat it. Um, I didn't quite turn on country music, but that was the next step, honestly, you know. Uh, so it was good. Uh, Faith Church is uh, doing a lot of uh, good work for the kingdom of God. And so we're so thankful for just that conference that they're putting on. Also, uh, am, I just want to say how grateful I am for uh, Ed preaching last week uh, and Mark uh, filling in on Wednesday night teaching. Such a blessing to know um, that you are well cared for in my absence. You probably didn't even miss me. And uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, uh, but it is a, a blessing to know, a comfort to know um, that we have gifted people to step in and minister the word in various ways and continue uh, with the worship team to lead us week after week in uh, praising God and, and what a um, blessing uh, they are to us. And I hope that you pray for them continually uh, in that because you don't want me up here leading it, right? So pray for them. An added bonus. Kyle, can you get us rolling with that? I don't know what we did to get Kyle in the front row, but let's repeat it, right? <laughs> oh, added bonus. We got to see a couple uh, out in Indianapolis. You may remember them, but there's our, our good friend Taku. That's, that's me right there, the taller one. <laughs> and there's the old family. There's Simba and Tino and... And uh, Katie and their beautiful baby girl, Pida. And uh, it was just such a blessing to have dinner with them and, and uh, spend Saturday, a week ago Saturday evening with them. And, and the boys are rambunctious. I have one picture of them, you know, hitting each other. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Taku interfered uh, in that. So thank you guys for putting that up. Just thought you'd love to see them. As you think about them as they come across your mind, do pray for them as they are. Um, uh, they're in Indianapolis, I mean, almost downtown. They're right in the city, uh, not far from the, all the skyscrapers and stuff like that. So pray for them. They're looking for a, a, a church. Uh, they're going to one place pretty regular, but he, uh, Taku, is praying, and the family is praying, looking for another church. And so I would just um, commit them to you and, and your prayers and ask you to do that. Well, I want to... Uh, ask you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, it's a shock to you. We've been going through the Gospel of John. We want to take a break this week, and we'll resume our study next week in chapter number 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. It's a remarkable story. Some of you are already prepared for that, and so you'll be doubly prepared for that next week. Amen? Won't that be good? And uh, give you something to look forward to even more. And I want to 
I want to just uh, just kind of uh, share some of uh, some thoughts out of Second Peter, a little bit of what uh, God was bringing to my mind this past week. And uh, if you've been in uh, Pastor Ed's discipleship class at the Ministry Center at any point in time, you know that uh, this is a favorite, frequent passage he goes to. He actually only has three lessons: First uh, Peter four, five principles of discipleship, and Second Peter one. So I mean. It just goes in rotation, and if you've not been a part of that class, I don't know where he's at now, but uh, he will get there and uh, see him, and uh, I'm sure you will enjoy it. Uh, and I, uh, over the past 30-plus uh, years, I'm sure that it has been a part of the uh, teaching here from the pulpit and many other venues. Uh, anywhere that he can preach uh, this, I'm sure he has uh, given it a shot. I want to look at the passage this morning, not just because it's foundational to our discipleship uh, over at the ministry center uh, and what we use there continually, but because it's foundational to the Christian life. It is really basic Christian teaching, and I hope uh, that in some ways, if you were here last week for um, Ed's sermon on Romans 6, this kind of ties into that uh, really well, I think. Uh, And if you've missed that, you can find that on our website, YouTube, or some other place where they've stashed it. Let me read, beginning in verse number 1, we'll read the first 11 verses, uh, and you can follow along with me. <clears throat> Second Peter 1, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, um, by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness uh, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Don't you like that? He didn't just say promises. These are great promises. Uh, These are precious promises. So that, and this is the purpose, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And if these qualities are yours... And are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That is a remarkable promise, isn't it? For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray with me for a moment, would you? Father, we thank you for this time that we are gathered this morning, the singing, the scripture reading, the preparation of our hearts as we have spoken to you and to one another, our faith in many different ways this morning. And so, God, we come now at this point asking for you to speak to us. Give us ears to hear uh, and help 
me in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, maybe you have bought uh, furniture in a box, whether it's Ikea or something at Walmart. I'm not judging you if you have. I have bought a desk and bookshelves, and, and what, a, what a work of sanctification that is. Amen? <laughs> you might experience two things in the process. One, at least what they say uh, on the box, everything you need by way of parts and in, to accomplish the assembly of this desk or bookshelf or kitchen table or whatever else you bought is in the box. Everything you need to assemble this thing is in the box. That's what they tell us. Secondly, the instructions, although if we're honest, some of them are indiscernible, they are indispensable. You're not going to put it together right or appropriately without the instructions to put it uh, together. And of course, no one is pitied more than a confused man trying to uh, find part A and attach it to some side of part B with bolt Y and washer X. Uh, and um, so all of that is part of the process, I think. Uh, and of course, uh, mechanical skills are helpful. Well, I want to share with you a few observations that really stand behind Second Peter and what we have come to understand in the Christian life when we speak about the desire to grow in Christ and the desires to help others grow in Christ. And, and I hope it will help us as we enter into what he's, Peter is giving to us here to kind of lay the groundwork. And that is fundamentally what we teach and the Christian faith and the Bible proclaims is that God is present in our life. Would you agree with that? God is present in our life. Now, I'm not speaking of God is present in the sense of omnipresent, that he is actively present in our life. We here oftentimes refer to the sovereignty of God, that he is ruling and reigning over creation and over the affairs and circumstances of our life. He's not an absent God. He's not standing on the sideline uh, looking on his cell phone while... Uh, everything else is going on. He is present and active in our life, and that is of great comfort. Now, we tend to like that doctrine. We tend to talk about that when things are going well, don't we? God is present. He's active. He's sovereign. Praise the Lord. Things are pretty good. It is a more difficult thing to understand and, and embrace when things are bad and things are uncomfortable and trials and things that we face. We kind of, is he really present. So I want to add to the fact that God is sovereign, he's active in our lives, present in our lives, is that he is acting in a way that is consistent with his character and nature. By that I simply mean that God is sovereign and God is, what's the word? Good. Everything he does in our life is is for his glory and our good. He acts in agreement with his holy character and all that he does all the time consistently is right. Isn't it good to know that there's some place and someone we can turn to where everything they do is good and right? We turn and we see a lot of things and a lot of people doing what is inappropriate, what is improper, uh, what is not proper. And here we come back to the reality that God is active in our life. He is sovereign over the affairs of our life and he is ruling and reigning according to his 
good character. Let me add further to that, that not only is he active in our life, the ways we've just mentioned, but that he cares about you and your life. He cares about what's going on in your world. Peter even reminds us in another place that we are to cast our burdens, our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. So he is is acting in ways that are right, and he is acting out of his love for us and his care for us. And not only does he care about what we're going through, but he also cares about the the manner and way in which you live this life. Why do I say that? Well, we're reminded that we are not to let division and bitterness and um, inappropriate speech grieve the Holy Spirit. He cares about the way we speak, the way we treat one another. And Hebrews tells us that he disciplines us for our good. His loving action in, in our life is to aid us in, uh, in our good. So let me go back and try to recapture all that. God is active. He is sovereign. And he rules according to his good character, his, his goodness. And he cares for us. But Peter reminds us of something remarkable. That is, he has made provision for our success. He has made provision for our success. That may seem like an odd thing to you to have a book of do's and don'ts, uh, to look through 66 books in the Bible and and read through all of that and, and to come back to the reality. I see God telling me a lot of things he likes, a lot of things he hates, a lot of things I'm to do and not do and all of that. And, and it may seem overwhelming at first glance. What Peter wants to remind us is that he has made provision for our success. In fact, what we find is that in Christ he has secured our success. We know that at When Christ returns, John tells us that we will be like him. We will be conformed to his image as we look upon him, that amazing transformation of the glory of God in that moment. Isn't that something to look forward to? I think Peter has in mind in his letter writing to these Christians, not just that kind of success, but the success living day to day in this world. God has made provision for us so that we might have success. For those of you who have visited this passage of scripture, maybe even committed it to memory, we come back and we rejoice. He's not coming to us with his commands and his his orders and his will, and he's saying, get her done. Sorry, revolting back to my uh, years in Tennessee. He's not saying that. He's saying here that in all that he commands us to do, he has made provision for you and I to do it. And that is, that is something that we should not lose sight of the, the grace, the bountiful grace and joy of that reality. In fact, some of you this morning probably need to step back and you can exhale now because you're living the Christian life as if everything is dependent upon you and and you're trying to white-knuckle everything and get it along and, and filled with frustration. We come back to this glorious reality that no, God has secured and made provision for you and I to live 
a life that is pleasing to him. That's what we see in the text here, being in verse number 3. So he describes for us, as he opens up the Christian life, what we should be pursuing, what you and I should be pursuing actively, beginning in verse number 5, and reminding us what fruitfulness and faithfulness looks like. That's a great promise we read in verse number 8, isn't it? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those two words mean mean idle and unfruitful. It's the idea behind them, not producing fruit and and, and idleness, not going anywhere. And he's saying that, that God has shown us what it looks like to be fruitful and successful. But he doesn't begin there. He begins first with God's provision. Look at it with me, verse number 3 and 4. And if you're taking notes and, and like points, that would be our first point of this passage, pursuing godliness uh, and fruitfulness would be first God's provision. Notice, the text says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory, it could be said, by his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, to be honest, there is a lot in these two verses that we could spend the rest of our time on, and uh, maybe another time, as we take Second Peter as a study of the church, we'll be able to take it a little bit slower. Uh, but I just want to point out a few things that's worth noting here in Second Peter as he begins to reveal for us God's provision. Notice first, he says, it is his divine power. He's not speaking of manly inventions or things that, that may help. He's speaking about God powerfully working and providing Uh, for us these things that we need i'm just thinking as i was reading this this morning going over my notes uh, of what paul tells us in corinthians second corinthians chapter number 10 and he's speaking about the weapons of our warfare and our carnal they're not of the flesh verse number four but have divine power to destroy strongholds for we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here he's speaking of his divine energy at work. His divine energy at work. We're also reminded uh, as Paul speaks about the gospel in Romans chapter number 1. That the gospel is God's power unto salvation. So when he's speaking about the Christian life, fundamentally at the, at the ground level, we see the Christian life explained remarkably related to the powerful working of God and the soul of man. In fact, that's seen over and over as we see Jesus performing miracles throughout our study in the book of John. But what stands behind those miracles are a reminder that he has called us from darkness unto light, called us from death to life. So the power of God at work in us, so it is God's gift to us brought about by his divine power. Secondly, in verse number three, he says not only is his divine power active, but he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Don't you like all things? Didn't say some things, few things, 
some helpful things, some really good things to add along to you. He's speaking to us in this all-encompassing, full, complete way, saying everything that you need, God has provided. Do you believe that? I mean, I think Christians are supposed to say that because, I mean, after all, you've got to buy when it says it in there. But do you believe that God has provided all things that you need to live a godly life? He doesn't meet out just part of what we need and, uh, and, and we have to come up with the rest or you, know, you have the raw material and we have to do all the other stuff. No, he has given us all things that we need that pertain to life and godliness. So everything that you need to live this life, life and godliness probably could be brought together. And uh, I think the NIV says it probably best. There I said it. You can, you can jot the date and time down. Everything we need for a godly life. That's what Paul is saying. So everything you need for a godly life is to be found where? In God. He has provided everything you need for the Christian life. All things are granted to us. All things are given to us. All things are ours in Christ to live a godly life. Now, what is a godly life? Well, we got an idea, um, maybe an idea of saints that we know, people that we're familiar with. The, the idea is living a life, godliness means to honor that's what it means, really. It means to honor maybe a family member or a family name or a deity of some sort. And so you you want to honor your family. You don't want to be bring shame on the family. Now, we, in our, our culture, we don't really care about that kind of stuff. We're kind of individualistic. We do what we do without any regard to who it may impact. It wasn't always that way. But in Eastern cultures and other cultures, that was a big deal. You don't bring shame upon the family name. You want to honor your family. And so the way you lived your life out in the world, the way you conducted yourself would would either bring honor to your family or family name or would bring dishonor. And so the same thing applies in the sense of one's religion or one's uh, one's, um, religious connections. They would want to honor whatever deity they serve. And so basically what God is saying here, if I could just kind of bring it back in a little bit, is he has provided everything you and I need to live a life that consistently honors him. That's the chief end of man. Well, the chief end of man, according to the divines of the Westminster, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Paul sums it up this way, uh, that whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. You say, how do we bring glory to God? How are we going to accomplish whether we eat or drink or whatever we do to the glory of God? Well, we're going to do it through the resources and the means which God has provided for us. So you and I can live a life that honors him. And notice what he connects that through because primarily I'm speaking to you Christians this morning and to those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. This is the promise that God has given to us. And so you may be here this morning, you may be like, well, that's kind of interesting. God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Well, what if you don't know God? Is the promise still mine? And he gives us this kind of understanding, doesn't he, through the means. Notice in verse number three, 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so if you don't know Christ this morning, uh, the place to start this kind of understanding of what God has provided for you is to start with Jesus Christ. That all that we have and all that we need is secured in him, found in him. There's no saving, redemptive, glorifying grace apart from or outside of Jesus Christ, but inside of Christ, in him, putting your faith and trust in him and in the gospel, that is where everything is found that you need. And that doesn't mean just here to live a godly life, but much, much more as we see the fullness of the revelation of God and the promises that he's given to us. And so through Christ, through his own excellence, his own moral excellence and his own glory, God has provided for you this morning, dear Christian, everything you need to live this life in a way that glorifies him. And again, I say that that is a remarkable statement because we we tend to think about what, what ifs or what abouts. And sometimes, if we're honest, now I know that, that it's hard to be honest in these days, except on social media, but sometimes when we're honest, we want to say to ourselves that this is true, this is in the Bible, we just read this passage, but it surely can't be talking about me. I'm some kind of abnormal Christian with some abnormal promises. Do you think it's right? Well, it's not right. All things that we need, speaking to the church, speaking to you and me this morning, is found, provided for us by God in Christ, according to his own glory and excellence. And that is true of every one of you that have put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. But then we ask, well, what about circumstances that I'm in? I mean, it's easy to say this if we lived in a vacuum. You know, we lived in a place where, where outside troubles and trials don't ever work their way on the inside. We don't ever face the tumultuous times of, uh, of dealing with people and circumstances and situations and all those things like that. Is this promise still true? And so, church, how would we answer that? Not only does he grant us all things that we need for life and godliness, it is... Uh, it is true that he has prevented us all things that we need for life and godliness. In every circumstance and situation we face, his grace is sufficient, his provision is enough to sustain us and to operate in a way that glorifies himself. So you can navigate health issues and you can navigate uh, family issues and you can navigate struggling with mortifying sin issues you can navigate those things in a way that glorifies God, having the strength to, uh, to glorify him and to follow him in those because he has made provision for us. And that is a joy uh, to know that because he gives to us, verse number four, he, he, it's almost that he, he, he steps it up a little bit, showing us the purpose of this or the vision that he has in mind. So according to his own excellence and glory, to the knowledge of Christ, who's called us by his own excellence and glory. And these same promises he has, uh, he has given to us precious and very great promises so that through those promises you might become partakers of the divine 
nature. Isn't that a remarkable statement? What does he mean that we may become partakers of the divine nature? Well, he doesn't elaborate, does he? Well, some suggest what he means here is that this is what we speak of regeneration. The, the idea of being born again, the spirit of God indwelling us. And we're not only, uh, not only are we broke free from our slavery to sin, but we have, been, we, we have God living in us, given a new desire and a new nature that goes along with that. And you see that contrast here, don't you? As he, we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world, and where does the corruption in the world come from? It comes from sinful desires. So we've been delivered from that. And maybe that's what he's referring to. Here, maybe he means more than that, or maybe he only means that. But some suggest what he's speaking of here is similar to the idea of that we share the characteristics or the outworking of having the Spirit of God in us, the characteristics of God. Isn't that a remarkable thought that you and I might bear the characteristics of God? Now let me just put a, a caveat in there. I don't think he's saying that you can be omnipresent, which means everywhere. He's not speaking about you bearing the characteristics of God uh, in his uh, aseity and all these other attributes that it's hard to spell and you have to look up what the definitions mean. But as we grow in the Christian life, the, the outcome, the, the, the working of that is so that you and I might grow more and more to look like who? Christ. We see in him his love and his meekness, his mercy, his gentleness, his patience, his zeal, his, his passion. All of those characteristics we begin to take on because he is conforming us into the image of Christ. And what God is saying, he has provided us everything we need for that to take place. Now, it's interesting because we always ask the questions that are not given to us, don't we? And for instance, Peter doesn't not say what all things are, does he? Wouldn't you like to know if you could sit there, Peter, sit down for a minute. After you tell me what happened when you walked on water and how far did you get and all this other stuff that we'd want to ask him, we'd be like, so what did you have in mind when you said all things? What are the all things that he's given to us? Well, there's many things that you could put in that blank, and I'm just going to give you a couple I think may be helpful uh, for you as you think through this. One, we've talked about that, and that is a new nature, contrast to the desires of our sinful nature. We're born again with a new creation. Ed spoke about that last week, and you can go back and listen to that sermon and try to have some of that fleshed out for you. But the second, I would say, is the Word of God. How are we to know what God is like and to walk in His will and His ways and His, according to His wisdom without His divine revelation? We serve a God who speaks. We're not guessing at what pleases the Lord. We can know what kind of life that glorifies God and honors God because God has spelled it out for us in his word. Many times in our world, the problem isn't that God is silent. The problem is that God is not silent that most people have a problem with. So God has given us 
his word, the foundation and, and the source of what we have is found in the knowledge of Christ. We could, we could stretch that not just the gospel, but all of his revealed word given to us so that we may navigate this life. And constantly through the word we're being exposed uh, to who we are and we're being changed uh, one degree of glory to the next as found elsewhere. But I would say thirdly, the spirit of God Paul says to the Philippians to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. How does he work in you? Because he lives in you. The power and the gift of the spirit of God. We uh, had heard on Wednesday night, for those of you here, with the gift of prayer and trials that God brings us through to work all this out in a way to conform us to the image of Christ. And I would say six. Sixthly isn't a word, is it? Thank you. You don't need to answer that. Number six, the body of Christ. And God has gifted us with people to come alongside of us to encourage us and help us along the way. Well, there's much that we can say about, much more we can say about this, but Peter wants us to understand the Christian life through the lens first and primarily through the power and the work of God in us. That's where the motivation, the resources come from. They come from God. But notice he mentions verse number 5 through 7, eight virtues or characteristics that you and I are supposed to grow in. How should we live if Christ provided all of this? Notice verse number 5, for this very reason, that's the connection you make there, because he has provided all that we need to live a godly life, for this very reason, make every effort... So we can say God has graciously provided everything we need. We all say God is also, through what Peter's writing here, saying that we are to, to appropriate those things. We're to make every effort. We're to strain and to, to serve and add these things to our faith or supplement your faith, uh, to our faith. And he walks through these things. I know what some will say, well, that sounds a little bit like moralism or legalism. And I would say that that is not at all what he's saying. Now, if he put this and said that we're to live this way, and at the end, God will meet you halfway and give you some provision along the way to help you reach that, that would be legalism, that would be moralism. But here he is saying, because God is at work in you, because it is the will of God to conform you to the image of Christ and to bear the characteristics of God, and that's what he's doing on the inside of you, then you, you walk in agreement with that. Walk in agreement with that. That's what he's saying here in these few verses. And so let's just look at these very quickly. Eight qualities that should mark our life, the things that we should pursue, the first of which is faith, and it ends with love. That's a summary of our Christian experience, isn't it? Trust Christ as your Savior, that personal faith that we have in Him, our trust for God and, and His will, His ways. And as we trust Him, it manifests itself ultimately, climaxes in love. So He says, Now, add to your faith virtue, which is moral excellence. 
adding to yourself those things that God loves, characteristics that we find in Christ, those things that are worth emulating that we see in others. How do you add to your faith virtue? Isn't that interesting? Add to your faith virtue. It's like you go to the grocery store, you go down to Aldi's, they don't give you a bag, but you can at least put it in your cart, and you go down to Aldi's, and I want some, I got some faith, I'll just take some virtue and put it off and put it in my buggy. I don't think it works like that. But I would ask you, how do children pick up virtues? How do they display characteristics and moral virtues in their own life? Because they learn them. They see it manifested in their parents and other people around them. And we've been given God's word to display who Christ is and who God is and examples of Christians and saints all throughout uh, all throughout the Bible. But not only that, he has given us his word manifested in the lives of people around us. And we see those things displayed in our brothers and sisters in Christ who are further down the road from us. And those of us who are younger, those of you younger in the faith, look at those older saints, not because they're older saints necessarily, because they're displaying Christ-like virtues that you want to emulate and put into practice in your own life. It's not a magic pill. It's not just go to sleep and automatically you get there. It's, it's seeking help and seeing the disciplines of others and putting those things into practice in your own walk, those things that glorify God and those things that are worth emulating. Paul even says, be like me, imitate me because I am imitating Christ. So not only do we have faith and we add to that virtue knowledge, again, bringing it back up to the knowledge and knowledge of Christ, we grow in our understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. And I remember a gentleman telling me once he was talking about going to church he's like well you know i got the whole gospel down pat i, I know all that stuff and i got it all worked out and i'm like man you have missed the boat <laughs> it is shallow enough for a child to swim in but it's deep enough for an elephant to drown in i want to grow in who christ is and what he's done for us grow and seeing him not just as we see him in the gospels we, we want to see him in the gospels but as we see him all throughout his word as god continually brings our mind and our attention to who he is people can't do that for you we're to add to our faith grow in our faith and knowledge of who he is and i would add to that even the knowledge of who we are and who we are in christ who we are in our weaknesses and and those things, it's, it's associated to self-control, not only knowledge, but add to your faith, self-control. I heard a preacher once, uh, I can't remember where it was at, he was speaking of spiritual disciplines. He said, sometimes I just like to tell my no, myself no uh, to keeping good practice. Isn't that really the hardest person to say no to? No. I tell you no all I want. Unless I struggle with men-pleasing, then I won't tell you no. I remember one Friday morning on men's Bible study, I said, I'm going to practice what this older preacher said, and I'm going to say no to that donut. I did. I ate two the next week to make up for it, you know. There wasn't as many people there. I didn't, I didn't knock somebody out of line. But he's saying that in the Christian life, we grow in our display of self-control. We grow in keeping our body under control and and uh, walking by the Spirit. He says not only in self-control, we are to display perseverance or steadfastness. 
lets that stick to itness. I know that's not a real word, but you get the point. That kind of persevering, not just to walk with Christ this week, though that's probably where we should start, but to continue to walk with Christ this week. Uh, to, to always be in the present tense of walking and following Christ. Not to live in a way to where faithfulness and service and all that's in the past, but to continue on in faithfulness and plodding in this Christian journey, persevering. But he adds to persevering, doesn't he? Godliness. Again, that idea of honoring and glorifying God, adding to godliness, brotherly affection. And isn't it remarkable that he speaks about the Christian as a family? Christian community. And we know what brotherly affection is. My grandmother, who used to watch me growing up, used to tell me, nobody loves you like family. Well, that's true. Nobody will love you like family. You can take that both ways, can't you? Nobody will love you like family. You got family. Family's all you got, and that's good. And then nobody will love you like family, and family will get you. You get that later on, I'm, I'm sure. But what is he saying here? He's saying that the body of Christ, uh, we, we grow in that, that, that affection, that love, that display of love among one another where, where if it weren't for the grace of God bringing us together, there would be no other reason for us to join hands for anything. Growing up in the independent Baptist movement, we called everyone brother and sister. If they were older, they would call them brother so-and-so, and if they were, well, if they were a man... And older we call today it might be different, but I don't know. Then we call them sister, and it was a constant reminder growing up that these people in our church is not just strangers we come to worship with, but these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And while there is an emotional uh, involvement, especially when we see the language of rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, or not to be stoic and and unremoved uh, emotionally or be removed emotionally, there is this reality that this brotherly kindness is for the benefit and the good of others. And in fact, what Jesus says to his disciples is this manifestation of love for one another will be the source, be be the pathway to experiencing joy. And you can find that in John chapter number 15. So we find joy in serving one another, meeting one another's needs. I think it was Calvin who said something to the effect of God cannot be reached by our offerings. He doesn't need anything is basically what he was saying. He's not hungry. He's not going to ask you for a loaf of bread. He doesn't need to pay his light bill, so he's not helping you. You don't need to help him with that. But he in his graciousness as we offer those sacrifices to one another and meeting one another's needs counts it to himself. Isn't that remarkable? Jesus says, well, if you give him a glass of cold water, it's like he gave it to me. You fed them. It was as if you fed me. You visited them as if you visited me. And he ends this climax with love. That's that sacrificial agape love. So he's saying to us, just to kind of bring all of this up, this is the the characteristics, this is the pursuit, the direction which you and I are supposed to be running this morning. This is the things that God is working on the inside to manifest itself on the outside, and we're involved, engaged in the process. God has provided us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's working inwardly to produce these things in our life, and he's saying to you, now go get them, go pursue them.
Put them to practice in your life. And notice what he says in that great promise of verse number 8. That is, the Christian's pursuit, God's provision. Thirdly, the Christian who is productive. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something worth stating here. These are something we're growing in. What does that mean? Well, that means that's grace, gracious language to say, we don't have it all figured out. We're continuing to progress along the way as we grow in our Christian walk to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so these qualities are meant to increase. We're meant to grow in these. And if they're developing in our life, then we will be productive and fruitful. That's my desire for my own spiritual life. I want to be fruitful. I want to be productive. I don't only, not only want to be fruitful and productive in, the, in your lives and the other areas God calls me to, but I want the Word of God to be fruitful and productive in my life. And that's what he's talking about here. I think both apply to this. And he's saying, how is that possible? We'll pursue the things that he's just mentioned. Follow hard after Christ and his work in us. And as we do that, God is working through us, increasing, increasing. And, you know, let me just say that. That's my desire for you. I had on my whiteboard last uh, year, the whole year I raced it this January, but I had on my whiteboard last year Ephesians 4. And I was reminding myself that my call as a pastor teacher, I think those two terms go together, but as a pastor teacher, my my calling, my job is to equip you, help you to fulfill the ministry which God has given you to do. So it is the essence in Ephesians 4 that the, the pastor teacher ministers. He, he has a task to do. He's, he's doing the task and as he is ministering, he is enabling you who are Christ's minister to carry on the ministry which God has given to you. Does that make sense? How many of you are confused? Raise your hand. Basically what he was saying is, and what I kept reminding myself all last year, is that all that I do, whether it's in the, uh, in the pulpit here or on Wednesday nights or in conversation, it brings me back to this reality that my job is to not only pursue Christ myself, but point others to Christ and help them adequately do what God has called them to do. To be fruitful and productive in their life. To help pursue these kind of virtues and, and attributes that we've been talking about. And it also reminds me that we need help in doing that. This is, can't be accomplished on our own. One of, the, one of the main ministries, I think, why it connects with our work down at the ministry center down the road there is because that's what we're trying to do, help people who need someone to come alongside of them and, and see this, see the Word of God, and see how to connect the dots. Well, they've got a Bible, they got, maybe they've got a testimony that they've trusted Christ, and maybe it's a circumstance or a crisis, and they just don't know how to connect the dots. And so the body of Christ comes together over there through counseling and discipleship and classes, and, and we're seeking to help connect the dots. 
not just us and the leadership and those who partake of that particular ministry, but you as a church, as you come alongside and encourage one another, that's exactly what we're saying. We're helping one another live in a way that is fruitful and productive. I want to say this for our church family because I know sometimes we think, well, that's what we do over there, but we just got our normal Sunday gathering over here. That's not true. You need help as well. And we're not so wrapped up what's going over there that we don't realize that you need help as well. And we want to. We're here. The leadership is here to encourage you and help you because we ourselves need encouragement and help and prayer to pursue Christ. And so if you need someone to talk to you and to walk with you, uh, there are many of us, uh, all of our elders, uh, our wives, and many others who are willing to do that. You don't have to struggle long, alone. We're not meant to. We're meant to strengthen and encourage one another, aren't we? That's the body of Christ. That's the church simply being the church. It's what we put on the sign out there. It, it looks good. makes great for a sign to, to drive by. Oh, what's that place? It's a church being the church. That's cool. But it is the reality of how we should function and operate. Because we acknowledge at the foundation that God has provided us everything we need to live this life in a way that glorifies Him and it magnifies Him through Christ. And that sometimes in the difficulties of life, we need others to come along and help us see how. And that's just as true for me as it is you. Would you say amen to that? And those of you who didn't say amen, would you say amen to that? And I just want to, I'm just thinking and just reminded of that even this past week as I was thinking about all the stuff that they were mentioning, that it isn't just a, a ministry center. It is the ministry of the church. It is life on life that this takes place. And the joy and reward is that we walk in the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. We are fruitful in the work in which he has called us to do. But notice he says in verse number 9, and we'll try to hurry up and come to a conclusion. Therefore, brothers, be all the... That's 10, right? Verse 9. Notice the warning. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know, there's several reasons people struggle with the assurance of their salvation. I'll give you one just right off the top of my head. That is bad theology. They don't understand. They don't understand the gospel fully. They, they've had bad teaching. They, they're on this treadmill of legalism or something else that, that they just haven't fully grasped all that Christ has done for them and they haven't grown maybe in their Christian walk. And so they, through bad teaching, they struggle with that. Some of you have been there and you've lived that life of now he loves me and now he don't, now he loves me, now he don't. And, and so you know the frustration that that brings. And that's why when we teach and preach here that we want to teach the word of God as it is given to us because we want to ensure that you understand clearly what God has said. But there's another reason that we fall into this up and down cycle of doubting our salvation or living without assurance of our salvation. That is bad conduct. Continuing in sin. Continuing in, in walking contrary to God's will and his work in you. 
Galatians speaks about that warring that happens on the inside between the flesh and the spirit and living in a state of that, that, that as you look at your life, you see no marks of Christian grace. How else could you be confident that you've been born again if you don't display this? And it's really what Peter is saying, that if you lack these qualities in your life, that you are nearsighted, you're blind, and you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from these former sins. One commentator said this, he said, it is appropriate and right uh, for a, a beneficiary to remember the good deed that has been given to him or done for him by a benefactor. And what would be equivalent to a slap to a face would be to forget the goodness and kindness that was shown to him. And so he says, really what you have here in verse number 9 is not only are you so nearsighted, but our conduct, our disobedience to God and our walking contrary to his will and his way in our life is, is almost as if it's a slap to the face of his grace. In those times like that, we need to be reminded that we have been forgiven from those sins and to walk in a way that is honoring and glorifying to him. In fact, he goes on in verse number 10, adding to that, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, be all the more earnest. Make this priority to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The confidence of pursuing godliness, the confidence of knowing and experiencing and resting in the provision of God and the pursuit i would say the pursuit of christ and all that that entails reminds us that as we practice these things we will never we will never fall well church i want to just encourage you this morning um, as we gather together of just the joyous reminder god has given you everything you need to live a godly life He is good. His provision is sufficient. He is with us. He strengthens us. And no matter what season you and I go through in this life, no matter what's going on in your world today, God is faithful, actively involved in what's going on in your world. And he's given us great gifts. All things, he says, Peter says, his word, his presence, his people to help us to navigate this life in a way that is fruitful and productive. Amen? And that is, that's what we want. And if you don't know Christ, I would love to introduce you to our glorious and good Savior and what he can do for you. Bow with me. Father, we thank you for this morning that we gather together. Thank you for this time that we can worship you. Pray that you would be just glorified in our hearts and minds, just thinking over this over and over again, of your goodness, of your faithfulness in every season of life. Uh, You never fail. We thank you for that. And thank you for uh, this day. Pray that you let the words that's been spoken, those things that are true and right, uh, that you would let them take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.